quick. Name the best American band of all time. Think about it. And Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers do not count. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. For hundreds of years, the British Empire dominated trade. T. The pound was strong, and then came 1962, the year they took over rock and roll. It's about the Beatles, man. You could say Britain's biggest export today is football, but with all the foreign money coming in, it's kind of in the importing-exporting business, which means we're getting into the George Costanza, Art Vandewey territory. But much of this episode is about the Beatles. I'll start with the Beatles and then do the daily update uh, with Churchill's War Basement. But first, the Fab Four. Music producer Uber God Rick Rubin once said, The Beatles are proof of the existence of God. And I think there's something to it. I could spend my entire life studying them and their work and the nine years of the Fab Four and get no closer to where I am right now, sitting in a teeny apartment. No, teeny hotel room in Hustle, someplace in London. I have no clue where I am. But let's get to the band. Play my music. For as long as I can remember, I've been a Beatles fan. It's one of those things where you're driving or riding in your mother's gold Volvo stack station wagon as a kid. And um, every new song that comes on the radio, you ask, is this the Beatles? That's how transcendent they were. Um, I should also add a quick note uh, for new listeners. I am not editing these. I'm just doing a lot of it uh, based on bulletproofs and notes. I'm getting better at it. But the goal is not to be like some super produced uh Rick Rubin-esque uh, production. It is to just uh, give my thoughts, travel journal, some of it's, you know, stream of consciousness, others is pre-coffee. Eh. Anyways, um, as a huge uh, Beatles fan, I think like I came really close to the Beatles music uh, during the pandemic. It was one of those things that you just throw it on and uh, you're like, how the fuck did they do this? Like, how did they do this? It's a different music in 1962. It's different in 1965 when you have uh, Rubber Soul, and then you get Sgt. Pepper, and it's insane, and then you get White Album, and you're like, oh my god, this is insane, and then you listen to uh, Let It Be, which, you know, I know it's the last one that was released, uh, but the Get Back documentary doesn't really explain, even though that is where the breakup begins. Uh, Abbey Road comes out before Let It Be, but it was recorded and finished after let it be. So it's one of those weird things that I wish the documentary would have been like, hey, like this was filmed and recorded a year before they broke up. Uh, not that big of a deal, but it is kind of a big deal because then people are like, oh, they did this great album. And then like they just totally disappeared. Uh, not necessarily true. They did the album. They went back in, 19, in I think it was August of 69, uh, finished up Abbey Road, then released Abbey Road, then released Let It Be. And uh then we get uh, All Things Was Passed from George, and we get Paul's McCartney and all this other awesome stuff. So um, anyways, the whole point of this is saying that uh, 
as a fan of the Beatles for largely my entire life, uh, I decided to do something that uh, was so random, but through Airbnb uh, experiences, which I highly recommend, um, I did a Beatles tour of London. Um, our tour guide was Richard. He came with a Beatles t-shirt, a Beatles, a Beatles statue, and uh, a big um, binder, like a trapper keeper of photos to show us uh, as we went along our journey. Um, the first stop was the Hare Krishna temple, which is very famous for George Harrison. Uh, when he came back from, when he went to India and came back, he was uh, Krishna. And um, I mean, he even had a top 10 album that is, has no hits on it. It's just Krishna music. And it's freaking awesome. Second stop was uh, McCartney's offices, uh, MPL, McCartney Productions Limited. Richard showed us a wonderful photo in 1982 of him and Paul who signed it's crazy if he if it's a real one that he would actually bring that in public, but uh, it was pretty neat. He even mentioned that um, "Oh Darling," which is one of my favorite Abbey Road songs, if not one of my favorite Beatles songs in general. Paul just sang that for the first time ever live since they recorded it at the Taylor Hawkins um, Memorial Show here in London. So uh, check out "Oh Darling" if you have a chance. It's a beautiful song. From there, we walked over to Trident Record Studios in Soho. Uh, it's one of the more high-tech, artist-friendly studios. It's where Hey Jude was recorded. It's also where Bowie recorded Ziggy Stardust, Space Odyssey, Elton John did your song, Rocket Man, Harry Nilsson. I mean, it's called history. And uh, the funny thing is the Brits, like, unless something's 200 years old, they don't give a shit. It's like, yeah, uh, unless this is a war memorial. Or it's over 200 years. We're going to give you a plaque and we're going to act like this is like no big deal. Business as usual. Um, from there, uh, we went to a spot where he showed us a photo of Lennon wearing his glasses. He actually got the glasses from performing in How I Won the War, uh, a war film in Spain. And they ended up keeping them, even though at the time they were thought of as grandma glasses. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, we checked out the London Palladium where Beatlemania began. It was a slow news day, so the Fleet Street papers sent the reporters and photographers to shoot. And the world changed truly that night because parents could see what their kids already knew. It's really neat. And right next to it, the genius of the Palladium is Brian Epstein, their manager, had his office right there. So everything happened for a reason. It was very important. Uh, next, we went to 3 Seville Road. What is that? It's uh, it's where the last show happened on the rooftop. Uh, if you've seen Get Back on uh, Disney+, Plus, which if you haven't, that's crazy. If you have, kudos. You made it through eight hours of the greatest cultural artifact in the last 30 years. Um, so this is where they did the last rooftop show and recorded um, Let It Be, the Get Back sessions. Um, today, there's an Abercrombie & Fitch office on the first floor, so it's pretty depressing. Um yeah, it's Seville Rose where all the tailors are in London, and uh, they even threw a huge um, protest and said, give three piece a chance, which, you know, that's a great pun on uh, John and Yoko's give peace a chance. Uh, from there, we went to the Scotch nightclub. Uh, this is where Mick and um, Paul and John would party with their all tartan uh, interiors. It was next to the art gallery Indica where Yoko and John met. And from there, we took the U to uh, Abbey Road. It's a very residential area. Um, originally, the album was going to be called Everest. 
And uh, they, the, you know, the label wanted them to go to Mount Everest and do the album. And then they're like, why don't we just call it Abbey Road? We're shooting it at Abbey Road Studios. We'll go outside, take a few photos. And that's what they did. Uh, it's a residential area. And it's pretty funny because um, there's cars trying to cross constantly. It's not like anyone has made a fuss out of it. Um, it's pretty funny, actually, to watch people waiting for traffic to stop. But um Abbey Road, I wish we could have gone in. We, uh, this is where All You Need Is Love is recorded. Uh, 400 million audience only a few weeks after Sgt. Pepper was released. So, like, the thing that the Beatles don't get enough credit for is when they finished Sgt. Pepper, you know, most bands would be like, we just made the greatest album ever. We're going to go on vacation. Nope. They just write All You Need Is Love, and then they record it, and 400 million people watch. So, like, they just... It's hard to explain, but when you release two albums a year for nine years or one and a half albums a year. It's just nonstop. And that's how the greats get it done. Consistency, great quality, but also, you know, they don't take three years in between each album. Um, over 200 songs were recorded at Abbey Road, uh, 12 albums, and it's still a working studio. So um, you can't go in there unless, you know, you're an artist or something like that. But uh, Dark Side of the Moon was recorded there. It's pretty cool. Uh, whoo, Beatles, Beatlemania, hell yeah. Um, from there, I went to uh dinner right by the Ritz at the Woolsey. Uh, it was fun as a solo campaign, a solo diner. They gave me two newspapers so that I would not be so lonely and on my uh phone the entire time. Got myself a nice Bordeaux, uh, steak and fries, and uh, called it a night. Okay, so on to day three in London. I woke up and uh, walked to see Churchill's War Rooms. Um, you start by walking in, down into a bunker. They say it's a fortified basement, not a bunker, but it's around all the government offices near where the Prime Minister Churchill lived. Um, they began in 1940. Originally, these were basement storerooms. Last used at the end of the war, March 1945. I love that uh, Churchill... He had a lot of opinions. Uh, one of them was that he hated noise. So he had special noiseless typewriters created, hated staples and paper clips, and attached them, attached paper with tabs. Uh, I have no clue what a tab is, but whatever. If someone can tell me, I'd love, love to hear that. Um, for the Prime Minister, Churchill's uh, kitchen, he said, I am easily satisfied. I like the best. Uh, Beef Wellington was his favorite. The switchboard rooms during World War II were manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the typing pool accommodated 11 female typists at a time, 12 hours a day and night. Uh, sometimes they would not even see daylight for weeks. Um, the map room, which has not changed since the 16th of August, 45, uh, was pretty brilliant. Got to see a lot of the maps, charting the war, information. They had charts. Uh, the officers in this room were known as the Glamour Boys. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Churchill's bedroom was also very interesting. Uh, it's where guests, like the King and Queen, they would come on Tuesdays. General Eisenhower visited. It's where he did his BBC speeches. 
Uh, but he rarely slept overnight here because of the lack of plumbing did not allow for his daily ritual of two baths a day. Uh, he would take a second bath after his nap uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon. The bunker is pretty interesting. I mean, like it did not feel nearly as uh, claustrophobic as I thought it would be. There was air conditioning in parts, uh, and that's not modern. That was back then. Uh, that said, I can imagine how scary it would be um, where you don't know if you're going to get bombed. You don't know if a certain part of the bunker is going to get bombed and blocked off. Uh, it's a lot of unknowns, and the entire time, this is one of the most important spots in the entire uh, kingdom. Uh, they even mentioned how they had planned for the, uh, not inevitability, but the possibility of Germans invading. And so they had guards guarding this area all the time. Uh, the museum to Churchill was quite fascinating, really. I mean, a very strong man, uh, one of the best leaders, but also someone who failed with Gallipoli and after Gallipoli decides to join his men as a member of parliament in the trenches in world war one um that's a leader the museum uh had his famous havana cigar which he would light after his first breakfast smoked eight cigars a day constant relighting them um his field marshal sir alan brooks said he is quite the most difficult man to work with but i should not have missed the chance of working with him for anything on earth Churchill worked 18-hour days. They even had Enigma machines here. Um, I love this quote from his war memoirs in 1948. It will be found much better by all parties to leave the past to history, especially as I propose to write that history myself. This is a uh, very intelligent man uh, born to an aristocrat of England and actually an heiress, an American heiress, so he was half American, which I never knew. Uh, he also won a Nobel Prize for Literature in 1953 and um, died at the age of, of 90 in 1965. He was still in Parliament and said, I always believe in staying in the pub until closing time. Um, it was pretty neat. From there, I uh, walked over to Buckingham Palace, saw the Royal Band and all the pomp and circumstance uh, with the full regalia and armor and black hats and such, kind of Wizard of Ozzy stuff, but I'm sure they're... Um, I don't know if this is daily. I don't know if I was special. Uh, I honestly had no clue what I was watching other than the band and a bunch of marching, but it was cool. Um, cool. Cause I stumbled upon it and, uh, it's, it's fun to see that kind of stuff. Um, uh, from there I went to Nando's again. Yeah. Got to get one in New York. Um, it started raining. So I bought myself a flat cap at Barber and a beer at a pub. Uh, the pub had Amstel beer, not Amstel light, but Amstel. Never seen that. Pretty cool. Had one. It's awesome. Uh, and then I went to Jack White's uh, record label, Third Man Records. Um, he recently had like a live show on their roof, and it was it's pretty awesome. He, uh, if you don't know Jack White, uh, look him up. If you really don't care to know, he did Seven Nation Army, which is sung at every single sporting event. So um, from there, I went back home. Uh, and took a quick nap and then got a quick dinner and uh, ate some Indian and called it a night. And uh, today I have no plans. It's kind of nice to not have plans in London, but um, we'll figure it out. And uh, it's my last day in Europe. Heading back to uh, the States tomorrow. So I think I'll have one closing out pod. But um, yeah, it's been real and uh, I'll chat with you all later. Cheers.